They're not the entirety of the set and setting. But whoever's there with you Mm -hmm. is a huge fucking chunk of information that you're going to be processing alongside of your experience. So it's a really, really important thing to consider. And I think just supports all the more why having someone that you know that is trustworthy and experienced and non-judgmental so crucial. The amazing thing about the mushrooms is that they speak. They talk to you. They will answer questions, carry on conversations. Psilocybin just pulls up a chair on the porch and puts its feet up. Welcome to part two of Foundations and Facilitation. Today, our attention turns to the value of ongoing practice for a mushroom facilitator. To many of us, it may seem like a no-brainer. For instance, think of how you would feel if your rock climbing instructor admitted to you that they had only ever climbed once, and that had been six years ago. But as we humans mature in our collective relationship to the mushroom, instances like this are reminders that different perspectives come with different no-brainers. We really do need each other. So contribute your perspective in the YouTube comments. You never know who might benefit from your unique approach. You are listening to Psilocybin Says. To support it, subscribe on YouTube and podcasts. And stay connected on Instagram and TikTok. All right, all right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Psilocybin Says. Hey, y'all. Thanks for being here today. We are on part two of our facilitator installment talking about what it means to be a psychedelic facilitator talking about aspects of facilitation we're not talking about best practices some people might be wanting to hear some of that and and we can talk about that at a certain point perhaps um, it's a lot of what we cover in our minister training uh, but this is really about some of the more mm, specialized aspects you heard the last episode if you heard that uh, we talked about you know, facilitation in terms of shamanism versus a therapist and that kind of spectrum between those two. And in this one, we're going to be talking about uh, whether or not a facilitator should have an ongoing practice with psilocybin. This has been a topic that's uh, becoming more and more discussed in the professional psychedelic community as more and more people become uh, professional facilitators and I personally found this to be a really important topic, and Courtney, when I brought it up to her, she thought, oh, yeah, we really need to discuss this as well. So, uh, Courtney, how do, you, how do you reflect on this question of whether or not a psychedelic facilitator should have a personal psychedelic practice? Yeah, so I have been a little surprised that... Um, that there hasn't been more of a congruent consensus on this topic. I've thought for the last 10 years that it would be a given that um, anyone holding space for other people would want to have their own ongoing practice with um, the mushroom or psychedelic of choice. Um, But much to my surprise, that's, that's not how everyone sees it. Uh, actually. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, I mean, there's clearly, I mean, our last episode on the spectrum of shamanism to uh, a mental health practitioner, 
um, says a lot about all the different worlds of practicing uh, mm -hmm. with psilocybin. And so I think that feeds a lot into this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, the different schools of thought out there will most likely be informing if you're dosing or not. And then also it's an individual thing as well. So uh, just looking at all those things, mm -hmm. I think is a big part of this conversation. For sure. I mean, I've actually surprisingly worked with people who considered themselves to be shamanic practitioners that did not work with psilocybin. Most of them, if not all, I think that I've ever encountered have had at least a, a couple of psychedelic experiences, um, but then didn't continue on with that, that practice. Um, although they kept administering psilocybin, which is an interesting perspective to me. Um, we can dig into that a little bit more as we go on. The first thing I'd like to bring up is just the uh, conversation, the topic of whether or not a psychedelic facilitator should even have a single dose, which is something of what you're alluding to in this kind of surprising world of uh, modern psychedelic facilitation, where many people, uh, even MAPS and their training protocols, don't require a therapist to have experience with the specific psychedelic that they would be administering. They can have a um, replacement experience uh, like breath work or ketamine is supposedly sufficient to uh, give a therapist a experience to administer psilocybin, which is on one hand, it's not surprising because where we're at in this, uh, in the progress of psychedelic wellness, there's a real need to have practitioners out there as legalization becomes more um, widespread. Um, so I understand, and we also see in our community that there is a real need to get people trained up quickly so that they can be supporting others in this space. But I have serious concerns about the um, the safety, really, of allowing someone to be a particularly psilocybin facilitator when they've only had like a ketamine experience or done some breath mm -hmm. work. It's actually like a big what the fuck are you actually thinking here when I... Yeah, I, I think both of us have um, done some practice and not jumping to complete shock and dismay and upsetness when hearing that, you know, someone thinks that it's acceptable to be administering psilocybin when they haven't actually had their own experiences or don't think that's important. Um, like you said, it's where we're at uh, in the quote unquote psychedelic renaissance uh, and psilocybin coming back into some kind of realm of acceptability and um, um, decriminalized practice. But like you said, like just yesterday, someone in our community voiced that they had an experience where they were left mm -hmm. by their mm -hmm. space holder. Mm -hmm. um, they just up and left mm -hmm. while this person that voiced this was still in the middle of their trip. And mm -hmm. this is not new like this is not a uh, an uncommon story that we've heard. Unfortunately, and, yeah. And it's something that we have personally experienced, which we've talked about in uh, previous episodes uh, in 
Jamaica during our retreats where we hired facilitators who on paper looked extremely qualified to they were researchers from Johns they Hopkins. were researchers from Johns Hopkins and you know we made the mistake of assuming well <laughs> surely <laughs> you know best practices here um, but they did not at all and I think that that basic the most basic the most important um best practices come with experience. Mm -hmm. They come with knowing firsthand the implications of not following those best practices. God, it's so true. And um, something like that is that knowing, that deep knowing of how it feels, how it really feels to be in the midst of such a vulnerable, uh, sometimes very confusing, otherworldly space and having the people that say they're going to be with you to care for you till the end not do that is a horrifying experience. It's very scary. It's very disorienting. It um, is the thing that you end up trying to figure out and integrating instead mm -hmm. of like what you went in there to experience. You know, you can end up just trying to figure out what the hell happened in the midst of this experience. Um, and I would never wish it upon anybody. And I, so I don't think there's any more egregious offense. Well, I would say, uh, sexual misconduct in the psychedelic space is the only thing that compares, mm -hmm. uh, to leaving someone unsupported when you have agreed to be the support person. And that personal experience, like you're saying, provides so much like real time feedback on what the experience is like. Um, and I think the most, one of the most important parts of that is understanding the duration of the experience and that these experiences don't run a specific trajectory. We have an idea that, you know, every mushroom trip lasts six hours and then it's over and you're back to normal. But if you've had uh, any number of experiences, then you will likely find that that is not always the case. Uh, so let me, uh, I'm going to. I'm gonna take Smokey out here. Give us a just give us a break here, folks. Sorry about that. Forgot to put Smokey aside. Big guy. You he should love to be you. a part of it. Smokey will dose with us. Two thousand years later. All right, sorry about that. A little work work from home <laughs> snafu <laughs> there. Yeah. Uh well I, I just want the last thing I want to point out about that specific instance is that the individual that we're uh referring to after the fact, I came to understand that this person had only had two psilocybin experiences, I believe, and that they were both like two, three gram low dose experiences, right? And when you're, especially when you're working with people who are on, you know, these what's often called the heroic dose, you know, or just a, a big dose of mushrooms, it is exponentially different than a gram or two hanging out by the pond or whatever that might be, or at a festival or, or, or even like in silent darkness, as you up the dose, it gets weirder, more challenging to the nth degree, which is, I think another reason that's very crucial to have a, a broad scope of experience. If you're going to be administering these medicines, these sacraments. Yeah, absolutely. So in your experience, uh, when you've been out there in the psychedelic professional world talking about this topic, 
and you brought this kind of thing up. What's the response um, from... from uh, surprising, actually. Yeah, like you said, it's been very surprising how much pushback there is around this. Um, maybe we'll post a link to it. There's a an article in The Guardian that was written about me uh, where some of these same professionals uh, try to say that I was peer pressuring them into taking drugs, right, because I was encouraging them to take mushrooms uh, with us in Jamaica. And... Um, so like there's there's I think there's a ton of fear I think there's a ton of skepticism I think there's a ton of hubris around this where people kind of sent, tend to think like you know I don't need I don't I don't I don't see I don't see what the disconnect is I honest to God it's so hard for me to even understand where that mentality comes from other than a complete lack of experience and the belief that this functions like any other substance, you know, like Tylenol or an antidepressant or even alcohol, um, when that is just absolutely not the case. Psychedelics are so unpredictable. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I know what it is and that's fear of actually having the experiences. I mean, that's my best guess because working with psilocybin is like it's work mm. and it requires a lot of energy and intention and thoughtfulness and, and time and courage. And like, if you know, you know, if you've had an experience that has shifted the way that you've thought about how you're living uh, and how you're treating people and how you're treating yourself and required you to really take a look Mm -hmm. at your lifestyle, Mm -hmm. then, you know, like going into another psilocybin experience is it takes a lot of courage god all right so no you're right i I, I think that's ultimately it yeah it's it's ironic that you that even that we're talking about this uh for our minister call tonight uh one of our uh ministers in training submitted the question why is it why am i always so reluctant to take a heroic dose right (laughs) got some ideas (laughs) because it's tough because it's scary, because it's a complete paradigm-shifting experience, and that is frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's what we're in this for, right? Yeah. Or supposedly. Um, yeah. I, I do struggle, and I just have to check myself and bring myself back to compassion with people because... Mm-hmm. It, I do easily feel very angry, like when I hear people try and argue that it's not important to maintain a personal practice. Because, um, and I guess that is in part proje- projection on some level, because I have been there out of fear of going back in to mm. the mushroom space, mm. like trying to justify it um, by saying, oh, like I don't. I don't need this experience again. Like one time every couple of years is enough for um, wild note feeling, you know, that feeling when there's resistance uh, to doing something that you know is going to be good for you mm-hmm. because you're afraid mm-hmm. of the transition, that feeling of simply that just mm-hmm. transitioning into a different state knowing that there's going to be energy required to make changes and do different things. So I guess, 
Yeah, like I know I know what that place is like and I just want to like <laughs> communicate to people like it's fear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're just afraid. Just mm-hmm. go in. Um and then you'll know. You'll mm-hmm. you'll know what we mean about the importance because I also compare it to I have this metaphor all the time and I need to come up with a new metaphor, but really like personal training or being a marathon trainer. Like, would you hire a marathon trainer if you're going to run a marathon and you want to like come out feeling decent Mm -hmm. and come like be, have confidence that when you run the marathon, you're going to be like, okay, yes, I trained well for this. I prepared well for this. I hired somebody who has experience, has been through it. They've run all these marathons. Like, would you hire somebody who's run all these marathons or would you hire somebody who's run one? Right. You would definitely hire the one who's run more marathons. Come mm-hmm. on. I think about for me, the, the growing up Catholic, um, this was always something that just baffled the fuck out of me is priests giving advice on marriage, you know? And I was just like, <laughs> how the fuck, even as a kid, when I was fully bought into Catholicism, that was the one thing that I was just like, it didn't make sense, you know? And same, same thing. Like, uh, yeah, I'm going to give you advice on marriage that I've never done or a sex therapist. Yeah, I had sex one time. And right. this was what it was like. <laughs> so when you have sex, it's going to be like this. And the mushroom experience, I don't think that there's anything that's uh, more comparable to a psychedelic experience than a sexual experience, personally. Uh, maybe something like skydiving or some, you know, life-threatening vulnerability. It's about, it's about that vulnerability. It's mm-hmm. that nakedness that everything is exposed right now. Um, and so I, I see the two as very useful metaphors, one for the other, and also the the blending of energies that can occur, you know. And so, like, that's the one for me. I'm just like, I, I, I can't imagine anyone would ever go to a sex therapist knowing that that sex therapist had had sex three times. Right. Period. And and so that we don't, that that's not part of this conversation or that when you bring it up, you know, um, it's either immediately dismissed. And that's what, you know, when you ask about how it's responded to in the professional circles, it's that it's either immediately dismissed or it's just played off as something completely different, you know, um, but I think more than anything, it's just really the conversation is avoided and then terms like peer pressure get thrown out. I mean, I've been caught, I've been told multiple times once in this very public article, uh, several times in these LinkedIn conversations, which is where I have most of the professional uh, conversations outside of sanctuary. My LinkedIn has become a very psychedelic space. Um, and there are a number of retreat owners and facilitators out there that have accused me of trying to, to peer pressure people into taking substances. Well, first of all, it's like, okay, we're, we've acknowledged that psilocybin is the safest or one of the safest substances that you can consume. And it's one of the most beneficial medicines that you can consume for healthy people and for people who are unhealthy. There's a very, very small spectrum of people 
for whom psilocybin is not helpful for. So can you please answer me, anyone who is an advocate for these experiences, why we would not want to consume the safest and most effective spiritual mental health medicine on the planet at least once or twice a year. I mean, it's like you're talking about if you do this twice a year, you're talking about mm, let's let's say each experience is a total of 10 hours. You're talking about 20 hours in a year that will drastically improve the quality of your life. And you're going to tell me that I'm peer pressuring you because I'm suggesting that this is a part of a healthy practice of a facilitator or I even had most recently uh, um, I'm not going to say any names but one of these retreat owners um, accused, said, this, said this was a dependency relationship that by suggesting practitioners consume that which with a practice on a semi-regular basis that I'm encouraging a dependency upon the mushroom. That is so fascinating. Like I, my first response is like just complete. Just, I'm just, I don't understand. I'm baffled. It I'm is like, baffling, yeah. what? It's, it's like hearing someone speak out of both sides of their mouth. Like mm-hmm. I don't, do you hear yourself? You're an advocate for, this is your if you're a retreat owner and this is your life and you are advocating for people to come Mm -hmm. and have this experience and at the same time you're suggesting that the people that are serving the medicine shouldn't partake well not only the the that they would be depend that it's a dependency if they do right the, exactly so are you telling people that are coming to your retreat that they're going that they're becoming dependent on this the thing that you're suggesting they come to do what like i and i again and then i step back and i'm like okay what's going on here Clearly there's some, there's fear Mm -hmm. and, uh, just a complete lack of experience and understanding around the experience in which they're selling, (laughs) they're trying to sell to people. Um, and then I think, well, maybe they just don't really care. Maybe they're just trying to make money and they, they're afraid to have the experience. They don't want to, they're just afraid to face their own stuff, um, and own their experience. Um, and they just want to make money. Um, so that could be what's going on. And also maybe it's a perspective, like what comes immediately comes to my mind is like a psychiatrist who's prescribing drugs Mm -hmm. that they themselves don't think maybe that they need. Mm -hmm. Um, like they're viewing, maybe they're viewing mushrooms as like an antidepressant. Like it's only for sick people. It's only for, um, yeah, it's only for sick people and I'm not sick. Therefore I don't need it. Uh, type of mentality or, but even that doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Make sense. No, because this is something that benefits. We know there is research that says clearly, and we know through 
anecdotal historical experience that some of the people who benefit the most from psychedelics are people who are generally mentally very healthy, right? Um, an expansion of consciousness. Now, there's there's bounds here. It's not to say, and, and maybe that's where it gets confusing. Maybe people think that somehow we're advocating for you know, monthly mushroom use for the rest of your life. Not the case. Uh, when I speak about a personal practice, it's whatever personal practice uh, you genuinely feel called to, um, which can be, you know, whatever that looks like. I went, I went most recently after coming back to Jamaica after many, many years of constant, uh, not relatively constant, very frequent dosing. I went two years without taking any mushrooms. And I'm an outlier. There's no doubt about that. I, I do think that most people, healthy people, would significantly benefit from at least once a year dosing, which is a very small amount. That's not, there's no peer pressure there. There's no dependency there. That's a check-in. Um, but, you know, and again, we just we just know that healthy people benefit enormously from this. So I want to be compassionate and uh, there's there are healthy bounds here. Um, but it does seem like it's very much this Western modality of we prescribe to you because we know what's good for you. And since we're not sick, we don't need this thing. Um, but ultimately underlying it, I think is what you mentioned already is the fear there is, there is, it's a tough man. It's really tough to go over that threshold of particularly mushroom experience because, oh, God, there's guaranteed to be some discomfort almost always. Uh, there's going to be some challenge. Other things like MDMA and LSD or some of that, you know, they're like a lot easier to navigate. Um, so I totally get the, the hesitancy with mushrooms, but that hesitancy, that resistance is, I think, probably the best, um, I don't want to say it, it's, it's the best system of check and balance that we have to make sure that we aren't doing it too much, right? I don't really, if, if I, I know if I get to the point where I'm just like, ah, throw the mushrooms back, no big deal, that I'm probably not doing enough integration work in between, right? Because you want that, that buildup of the resistance that you have to get over to feel like you've accomplished something, to know that there's actually something to work on, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I guess I've not yet experienced not not having a hesitant hesitancy mm. to eat mushrooms. Uh, I don't yeah. think I personally. I, <clears throat> yeah, I just haven't. I've. I've gotten close to feeling like an excitement <laughs> mm -hmm. to eat mushrooms. Um, and even still there's like this gut, like I, I equate it for me, like when I was competitive ice skating and it was time for a competition, you know, stepping onto the ice and everybody's watching and it's what you've been working for. It's like, you don't know what's going to happen during that five minutes on the ice or whatever. And there's this gut, like even when you're really well-trained mm -hmm. and you're like stepping in as prepared as you can be, there's still mm -hmm. like this, oh, like this feeling of not knowing. 
Mm -hmm. um, that keeps you pretty humble Mm -hmm. going in. Um, And I know, I know not everybody's like that, but I feel like those are outliers, people that abuse psilocybin Mm -hmm. um, and get dependent on the experience I don't know. I don't. Really... I've gotten there. I've gotten there. I wouldn't say it was a dependency, but I was. It was like the other day when Theo and I went on the water slides at the Y. Right, mm-hmm. you got these big tube water slides going loop to loops and all that crazy stuff. And the first five or six times, it was like, "Whoa, what a rush! Oh my god!" And even going up the stairs, like, "Oh man!" And then like you hit like the eighth or ninth or tenth time in a row, and it's just like, "All right, here we go, going on the side again." Zip, 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 zip. All right, cool, mm-hmm. and the resistance was lost mm-hmm. and it didn't have the the value that it did previously. And when I was in Jamaica eating mushrooms with, with um, guests and groups, you know, I mean, I, sometimes three times a week I was eating mushrooms and it was just like, it's like, all right, we know where this is going. It's going to be a ride. It's going to be exciting at points, but we know we're going to come out of this okay. I and mean, we always like to know that is really important too. That's a very important part of having your own personal practice. Um, and you know, we're going to talk about this in the next episode. Dosing with others is not the same as dosing for yourself. And, mm-hmm. um, but the times, like the time in Jamaica when I had the mo- the last, my last really terrifying experience with like the prison planet where you know, you were gone and I did a dose and it was just fucking hours of just sheer paranoid terror. Um, that instance, I know that I went into it like no big deal. I'm eating my seven grams like I always do, you know, and that's when, you know, problems arose or real challenges arose, which is another important part of having your personal practice. Because if you do it enough, you're going to learn that flippantly taking mushrooms is kind of like the the easiest way to lead to a real terrifying trip. You want to be intentional. You want to set yourself up for success. You don't want this to be something that you just do at a whim. Um, Because when you do, then, yeah, it's uh, very likely that it's going to be a um, not what you had had hoped for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. That's I guess when I've come close to that feeling of excitement, like let's go, let's do this, let's eat some mushrooms and have a you know big experience, and feeling like I'm starting to get the hang of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, then having that experience of okay. <laughs> I'm going to need a long break (laughs) before Mm -hmm, I eat mushrooms mm -hmm. again because that scared the shit out of me. Or, yeah, I I thought I was prepared for that, but I'm going to be integrating that for a long time. Um, So have have you worked with a facilitator yet who hasn't had much of a personal practice and been a great facilitator? Um, I've worked with facilitators who haven't had, well, gosh, I'm actually going back through the list of facilitators and, um, hmm. Tristan is one that comes to mind. Tristan's had, he's had a, 
a fair amount of experience, but when he had facilitated with us, I don't know that he had. Um, and he did a really good job on those first couple of retreats that we've led. When I think back to Jamaica, uh, which is where we had the bulk of the experience working with other facilitators, the answer would be no. Um, I can look back at, and there were, oh God, it's it's pretty stomach turning when I think about the number of folks who I uh, trusted on their, um, I guess you'd say their their professional appearance. You know, there were a number of people, and and you know we had the great fortune of getting into this work long, you know, quite a bit before most people. And some of the folks who are, um, you know, still pretty prominent today in that world, in the psychedelic world, came down and wanted to facilitate with us and saw that their experience level um, was so minimal that they hadn't, they, they really weren't very good in the space. The people who became the most effective facilitators um, in my experience thus far, were the people who had been through the most trauma and had recovered from it with the use of psychedelics. Um, there were a number of folks who didn't have a ton of experience, um, but were pretty effective facilitators. And I guess like there's a lot of subject subjectivity here, right? Because what is a lot of experience? It's going to be different from for everybody. And there is the very real consideration of what other um, spiritual or personal growth practices do you employ that contribute to the work that you do with psilocybin? Because it, it's, I want to be clear here that it's not just mushroom experiences that make you an effective facilitator. Yeah. But, so could you break that down a little bit more? So we know not leaving uh, <laughs> before like everybody is for sure good and knowing what that actually means. Mm -hmm. Um, we know that's an element of being a, an effective facilitator, but what else comes to your mind when you're thinking of these people that really excelled in the, the space? Um, I think compassion and empathy are probably the two biggest qualities. People who really are there to be of service to, to the people, not because they just think this is a neat experience. There's a lot, there's so much of this happening where people think, oh, this is the next greatest thing in mental health, right? Or this is the next trend that I want to be a part of. It's like the next fad diet kind of thing, but it's cooler because it's drugs. And uh, those those people don't tend to have the fortitude and the compassion and the empathy to really stay the course. And that fortitude is a huge component uh, because very likely – you will be having sessions that a lot of times like the first three hours are just kind of low key, nothing much going on. And then hour four or five is when, you know, somebody is just absolutely like, you know, really having a big release that can look like a number of things. You may be having to physically support somebody as they flop around on the ground or whatever. Like it could be any number of things. And so being able to maintain your energy for at minimum eight hours and really more like 12 because you've got a couple of hours leading into the session, people dosing, 
six, eight hours then, and then even still after the acute effects have worn off, there's a lot of times that you're still there supporting someone emotionally for another two or three hours, you know, in deep conversation, integrating, have had experiences where, uh, God, just watching someone, supporting someone as they release trauma for God, there was this one guy that just, it was a 10 hour trip that was completely unexpected that it would hit him that hard, but he finally broke open a barrier and I wasn't going to stop that release. I just wanted to support him. And so like that, that is just, is huge to have that endurance to be able to last with someone for that long. And then to be able to like, you know, get up the next day or, you know, a couple days later and check in with them and continue the conversation, continue the process. So I like, you know, this is just what we try to convey in our training is that to be the best facilitator of the psychedelic experience, it ultimately amounts to being the best human you can be. You know, you just keep showing up for people. You keep loving people. You keep letting go of judgments and just whatever you're going through, it's okay. I find that much easier to do in the psychedelic space, but it's also really important that we maintain that practice outside of the psychedelic space, you know, because, you know, just being the best person we can be at all the time. Uh, and like people know that they see that when, when you're with someone in the space, they are feeling what we are emanating. And so to, to authentically emanate that unconditional love, that encouragement, that I'm here if you need me. You know, one of the things you, you said to me when we were first first uh, together, within the first year or two that we were together, and I was really aspiring to be, um, to be in this role of supporting people through their experiences. And I, I asked you, I think, like something like, what gives you confidence in, in taking mushrooms with me or, or something like that? And I remember you saying to me that you just always saw me as this solid rock that no matter what happened in the mushroom trip, that I was going to be there and I was going to be there all the way through it. And like, that's what I try to bring into my, to my life, you know, like in our family and our friendships, like, to really just continue showing up for people. And, you know, I don't do it as well in my daily life, but to continue reminding ourselves, myself, and you're doing good. You're going to get through this. I'm proud of you. I know it's hard, but you're doing really important, really good work right now. Yeah. Wow. If we could treat people like that all the time. <laughs> Like as, you know, mm -hmm. as you just said, like in the psychedelic space when that vulnerability is so tangible and we're like stripped of just bare naked, um, not necessarily actually naked, but it feels that way. Like mm -hmm. our soul is being just exposed completely and we feel so... Yeah, all of our weaknesses and everything are just like right on the platter. And that person that's holding space lets us know like you're doing good. Mm -hmm. I know it's really fucking hard, but like you got this. You're like, I'm here with you. Yeah, that's what I, I honestly like. It has me reflecting right now on how I often 
um, cast judgment on just like we're talking about people that don't have a personal practice and yet, you know, portend to be, you know, qualified facilitators. And I do have a real tendency. This is a place where I have a real tendency to be like, you know what? Shut the fuck up because this is serious business and people's safety, people's mental health, people's spiritual health is, you know, you're in your hands. And so I get defensive for the potential um, participants or, you know, whatever recipients of the, of the services of those individuals. But I really, I want, I, it's not the most effective perspective. It's really, it does deserve compassion because it is understandable why people would a think that, you know, a couple of mushroom experiences, especially like good mushroom experiences, that's really a thing. People have a couple of easy mushroom experiences like, Oh, this is what I should be doing. I should be helping other people have this experience. Um, and so it's really understandable. Most people do just want to help their fellow humans. I really believe that. Um, and most of us are really afraid to be authentically vulnerable. And for good reason. We do live in a pretty consumerist culture where it's pretty easy to be uh, you know, ostracized or have judgment cast upon you for being vulnerable. Uh, so I get it. And I do want to have compassion for those people. And I also do want to encourage those people as well that they are much stronger than they think. You're every bit as strong uh, and capable as the people that you are supporting. And that, to, to really, truly know that about ourselves, especially if we are going to be carrying these sacraments forward and introducing them to other people, that a really important part of knowing that is going there. And so you can do this. You got this. Yeah. So uh, something that's coming up for me is how like this shift that we've had um, in our approach to to working with mushrooms um, in our community with sanctuary mm -hmm. where, you know, going from the retreat model to uh, moving more towards a localized, more, um, you know, the friends and family peer support, peer mm -hmm. support mm -hmm. model. How, like, how does this whole conversation play into that model for <laughs> like for well, you let me just say all right so there is a <laughs> a very ironic criticism of self-administration right we have uh clinicians therapists practitioners who are not highly experienced but they're trained in some fashion telling people who are not highly experienced that they're not experienced enough to self-administer or to do this for a friend or a family member. 
right? You get this, the irony of someone who is not experienced telling another experienced person that they're an inexperienced person, that they're not experienced enough to administer yeah. the sacraments because of most likely, you know, titles. Um, and so that has been, that was revealed to me after a, a trip as a, you know, a major flaw in the design and that people absolutely have the right and ability to administer mushrooms to themselves and to their friends and family um, in a considerate, thoughtful, slow-paced, graduated sense. Um, it, if, if anything deserves that kind of um, intimate relationship, I think it's the psychedelic experience. This is something, these experiences are so profound, so personal, that I truly believe we should be our own authority on this matter. Now, again, like, Take it slow. Education is important. There are, uh, again, best practices or there's information that can help you get yourself prepared for a better experience. But nothing, no way, is going to substitute the experience itself. Nothing is going to teach you about the experience like the experience. And so another thing that we're going to see is many, many practitioners that hop into this and then fall out of it because it's not what they expected. And they didn't know what to expect because they didn't have their own personal practice, right? So that's, I, I just, it just keeps coming back to me how crucial that from the, from the beginnings of our encounters with these medicines, it is all about our relationship with them. And that relationship, that real relationship hopefully, is what will facilitate a real desire to share and be a support in those circumstances. So I don't know if that really answers your question. I got kind of I got kind of sidetracked on the irony of untrained or un unexperienced telling the unexperienced that they don't have the experience. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's certainly one facet of it um i mean what's coming to mind for me is um yeah like is it you know because we're having this whole conversation around facilitators and you know being a a great facilitator and what qualifies you to be such and also noticing the irony in a way of our friends and family approach in that you know, the idea there is that, like you just said, we have, we, we do have the right and the ability to self-administer, um, these, the sacred plant, uh, to ourselves and with some very minimal, like best practices have someone that, that we tell somebody that somebody knows that they can help us and make sure that we're physically safe. So it's like, 
there is a spectrum here, you know, because this whole conversation around being a, an awesome facilitator, having, you know, plenty of your own experiences on a whole a spectrum of types of experiences and doses and settings and making mistakes and learning from them, you know, and then we have, um, then simultaneously there's the reality that you really don't need a great facilitator, um, as well. And all wrapped up in that with your recent comment there is, like from my perspective, it seems much safer to start a practice, um, cultivate a practice with yourself, with your loved ones, um, because there's not this facade that somebody is helping you have an experience mm -hmm. like, or granting you permission to have an experience or, um, I guess when you're embarking on your own personal journey and you're putting it in your own hands, I feel like there is a tendency to take more responsibility mm -hmm. for that experience uh, versus hiring someone like, Oh, I heard, I read Michael Pollan's book and now I'm going to look online for a psychedelic facilitator and hire somebody and pay somebody a couple thousand dollars to sit with me. And they'll like, they got this. They're the professional. Mm -hmm. They'll tell me what I need to do. They'll make sure I have a great experience. Mm -hmm. And and I'm not saying that this is like how it works for everybody, but I I have seen mm -hmm. the difference mm -hmm. in that there there does seem to be that um that tendency to put the onus more on the professional Definitely. than yourself. And that's where I feel like things get real sticky mm -hmm. and um, it can be a lot harder <laughs> to integrate that experience because you haven't put in the energy and work into preparing yourself, taking responsibility, trying to educate yourself on the best practices, finding a community that can help you do that, talking with people that have had actual experiences that, you know, their own personal experiences where they've self-administered Um and it's, it's just a very different world and a very different approach. So like we've seen people hire that professional facilitator, have the experience and maybe it, you know, is awesome, life-changing, what have you. And then like you mentioned earlier, they have that great experience. They go home and they think, oh, like I had that one experience. I haven't done a ton of research or built a community or found a community or built relationships with other people practicing. Mm -hmm. So like I had this great experience in this very specific space. I'm just going to like go home and whoop, replicate like, that, replicate that, <laughs> eat, eat, you know, a handful of mushrooms and without having done that personal work mm -hmm. to take that personal responsibility mm -hmm. yet be completely blindsided by very the intensity point. of the experience like that i feel like yeah it's it's more dangerous to me that's a, that's you bring up a very interesting point um and there, i guess there's really two that i'm i'm seeing there one is this kind of guru syndrome right where the the facilitator is you know they're who did it for you either they did it good or they did it bad right 
And we talk about this being responsible for your own experience in a previous episode. Um, and then there is the the reality that the the have potential for harm that comes out of that. And and you know this isn't I'm like hesitating because I don't want this to sound like I'm being boastful, but um, a good psychedelic facilitator makes it look easy. It makes it look easy to take eight grams, right? Makes it look the, someone someone that knows the space that goes there with you, and they're just like surfing the waves of chaos. It's it's very easy to think like, okay, good, I can just go do this myself. And if you step into it slowly and you gradually increase your dosing and you do your own kind of education and you hear some of the cautionary tales, and then you're much more likely to, you know slowly move up and push your boundaries. I had, a, I'm, I'm thinking directly of an individual who came to Jamaica and, you know, I always, always still do. Whenever we do group retreats of higher dose stuff, I always tell people like seven grams, 10 grams, five grams in this environment is very different than five, seven, 10 grams by yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. Very different. Do not go and try to do this on your own. And one individual didn't heed that message and he's like oh, i took seven grams in jamaica i'll take seven grams in my apartment and then ended up like banging on his neighbor's door in his underwear professing his undying love to basically a stranger and then out in the street you know traffic stop and you know and he called me afterwards and he's like oh my god i should have listened i should have listened and you know i mean it's, it's all good it's a lesson learned um but that having someone else there who is very skilled can give you a bit of a false sense of security in yourself. Uh, so God taking it slow. And that's what, you know, I look back at my history and I think there's, there's a danger too in this, like people hear me talk and I do talk about like big doses and crazy experiences and how fucking wild and all that stuff it was. And that's happened. And I also do talk about the fact that I spent about, uh, from 99 to 2009, 10 years that I spent dosing no more than every three months, period. That was it. And no more than five grams, period. You know, slowly building up my nervous system capacity, my, my trust with this uh, experience, you know. And that's another aspect of this facilitation that I get really frustrated with is that in the um, professional psychedelic circles, there's so much talk about how we should uh, value the indigenous and their teachings and how we should reciprocate to the indigenous and, and, and this kind of stuff, which I am not a, I am in full agreement with. But the indigenous model was that you worked at least 10 years under an apprentice before you ever got to administer out to someone else. And that didn't mean that you worked 10 years watching someone else. You worked 10 years taking the fucking medicine yourself and right. getting exposed to the variety of experiences and, and how this thing unfolds before you ever even consider. And so that's why when someone, you know, even some of these facilitators who came to Jamaica that were inexperienced, who left people, um, in, in the midst of their ceremony who put people who they were responsible for at significant risk will criticize us for teaching people to administer psilocybin to their self, to their friends and family. 
It's like, I know that in providing a, alongside that providing a community of education and support and feedback, uh, that we're doing so much more to keep people safe than what is, I, I think, like right now currently perceived as best practices. It's just, it's just such a new world. Um, the psychedelic space is such a new world for yeah. us. And because as well is the reality that these experiences where you hire a professional facilitator or you go to a retreat mm -hmm. uh, where there's all these professional facilitators or you apply for a, a clinical study to have an experience. Uh, the reality is that all of those experiences are basically mostly un inaccessible for, for most people. Oh, for sure. So you're, we're, experiencing this resurgence of like the power of psychedelics and it's being hyped up everywhere in the media. And that's a wonderful thing. And simultaneously to hear that the only safe experience for you is a $5,000 trip to another country mm -hmm. is like telling the majority of our population that this is, this medicine is going to save your life really quickly. Oh, but you shouldn't have it unless you can afford something that you know you're not going to be able to afford mm -hmm. um so what what is the average person here well then i'm going to go buy mushrooms from somebody and have my own damn experience right uh if it's as simple as michael pollan says it is mm -hmm. then why shouldn't i do it myself without like that's a very confusing message very for the so. average person to mm -hmm. hear so a lot of people that come to sanctuary um or some people that came to Jamaica, you know, tried to have their own experience um, or like, yeah, like they tried and it was very confusing. They didn't have the support they didn't have the community. And so, yeah, finding that. I love that we're having this conversation and like, like there really isn't my takeaway is like there's not a black and white like mm -hmm. there's not like it's okay like if you if you feel like hiring a professional facilitator um who you vetted and you've spoken with and you feel really good about and you want to hire that person to have an experience to help you have an experience like great um and also if you want to like have your own experience in your own home and you want to join a community or like find community and find people to like help you navigate what that might be like. Great. Um, but just being safe mm -hmm. is like the number one thing. Yeah. And there's no guarantee in safety. Uh, you know, I think the, the best guarantee in safety is to slowly over years graduate your dosing. Begin slow, feel it out, start to learn to navigate it. It is a space that can be mapped. Um, it's a very confusing map, and it takes a very long time. And there is great benefit to having highly experienced people help to kind of highlight some points on your map. Nobody's map is going to look exactly the same, but there are um, some similarities and consistencies that can be interpreted 
um, with value. So there, there, there is that, um, but that's not going to come from most likely that's not going to come from, you know, a single session working with someone. It's going to come over consistent practice that you continue to explore and you relate through conversation. You share your experiences with people who are more experienced than you and they can hopefully not tell you what you're experiencing, but ask questions and kind of share some of their experiences that will then help you relate, help relate to what, what you've gone through. It's like, you know, we listen to, uh, on this topic of self-administration or, or working under a professional, we went and listened to a side of this conversation many times. We went and listened to, uh, Joe Tefer, uh, come and talk here in Louisville a few weeks ago. And, uh, he's the author of, um, um, Fellowship of the River. He's a medical doctor who is also also an, uh, an, a very experienced, like 30-year experienced ayahuascaro. He's worked in Peru under the shamans there for a long time before he started administering ayahuasca. And he also is involved in a, a lot of research. And he said that there, he showed us a study that illustrated pretty clearly that the the most important factor to a positive outcome from any psychedelic experience, and this was across medicines, um, is the facilitator who you're working with. And it, originally, when we first were hearing this, I was just thinking in terms of, you know, an external third-party facilitator, like I have been for others or, you know, whatever. And then as we're having this conversation and reflecting on what he shared there, I'm thinking about the times that I have self-administered many, many times, the vast majority of the times. I mean, I'm, actually, no one's ever fed me mushrooms. And um, in those instances, when I was my own facilitator, so to speak, those were by far the most impactful experiences that I've ever had. Now, group experiences are really powerful. They're really amazing. You get a lot, a lot, a lot out of a group experience. But in terms of my own personal growth and development, exploration of self, lasting outcomes, aside from a couple, the vast majority of them were the most impactful and terrifying experiences of my life. I can only think of a couple of experiences that I shared with other people that were anywhere nearly, nearly as profound as some of those solo experiences. That, that experience that you and I had back in the day with the raccoons and all that fucking changed my life. Um, the experience that I most recently had with Charles changed my life. The people that I was with had a, looking back, had a major impact on the nature of the experience and what I got out of that. When I look back at other experiences, the one where, you know, the thing about the, the DNA cleansing that I got, literally, factually sweated blood. Uh, the recent experience that I had here on the floor during the windstorm and all that that entailed. Uh, and there's a, a, quite a few other personal experiences that I've had. So just thinking about ourselves as a facilitator for ourselves is really, really powerful. If the most high-impact aspect of a psychedelic experience is not the medicine, it is the individual 
which is so much. The person who is there with us, even if it's just ourselves, most importantly, if it's just ourselves, is the container, is the set and setting in so many ways. They're not the entirety of the set and setting. But whoever's there with you Mm -hmm. is a huge fucking chunk of information that you're going to be processing alongside of your experience. So it's a really, really important thing to consider. Um, And I think just supports all the more why having someone that you know that is trustworthy and experienced and non-judgmental, so crucial that person is non-judgmental. I have, I have absolutely worked with facilitators who after an experience like, oh, my God, did you see what such and such was doing? What do you think's going on there? Don't fucking come to me with that. You're not going to be – we're not going to be working together for very long if that's mm-hmm. how you're – if it's how you're viewing it, you know, because – Oh, God. Yeah. That researcher that left early, the level of judgment she had oh, yeah. on yeah. people having a mushroom experience was so uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, I made my skin crawl. Yeah. So, ah. I mean, I've had, I had one, one therapist that, um, talked about how someone was twisting or whatever. And was like, Oh, I just wanted to take a picture so bad. I'm just like, this is not, these, these people are not your fucking entertainment. This is really deep and really profound stuff that is going to change their lives. If you will let it, I could, I could, I could get really on a soapbox there about that whole topic. Um, yeah. And those people, those facilitators that are speaking in those terms are the same ones that are too afraid to go through their own experience. And therefore they, because they're afraid that they're going to do something like what they're seeing, right? They're going to mm-hmm. project, they're just projecting out their own fears onto mm-hmm. the people that they're, they're supposed to be supporting. Yeah. Yeah, I more and more appreciate this um, development of how our community is practicing with psilocybin and this just thinking of what you just brought up with Joe Tefer and saying that the people that you're having the experience with is like sometimes like the mo- it's the most important mm-hmm. part. Um, reflecting on our friends and family program and the message really that it's sending to our community that, um, you know, finding somebody that feels trustworthy and solid, Mm -hmm. like I've said, you are, Mm -hmm. um, to me, like finding that person for you, uh, is even in the quest of finding that person, there's so much mm. experience to be had. Mm-hmm. If all of a sudden you're asking yourself, do I trust my spouse mm. to hold space for me mm-hmm. during this really vulnerable experience? Mm. And if mm. you don't, mm. and if you're feeling that I actually really don't want them to see me in that, mm-hmm. that space, well, that in itself mm. is a really powerful learning experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. to be had and something to reflect on. And because, um, <laughs> yeah, like... Because you might pee all over their house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who are new to Civil 7 Says, on our second mushroom date, Courtney peed all over 
my house. I reference this a lot. So I was following her around with a mop while she smiled in my face and peed down her leg. It was great. Was it great? It was great. I mean, in retrospect, it, it is great. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad we had that experience because. But like what we grew to closer, what you're saying, we grew a lot closer. That did not did that not tell you an enormous amount about me. That that yeah, I, it, it did. I mean, yes, there's been so many times where you've just stood by me. And even when you've been like, what in the actual fuck are you doing? The same thing with you. Like, I'm here. Like, I'm here mm-hmm. with you. I'm not going to abandon you. Like, mm-hmm. I'm here with you. I'm working. I'm right here working through this with you. I don't know what this is, but I'm here with you. Like, that's partnership. That's yeah. life. That's partnership. And... Yeah, if we can get through that together in that space and that level of vulnerability and chaos and come through it better, then yeah, we can get through. So I, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up, and I, I haven't really thought about that in in the context of our our friends and family and and all. But God, what a powerful! And we talk about this occasionally, like if you know if every business par- partners would dose together and if people would dose together before they got married, how much they could learn about the person that they're going to be with and decide if it's really, and my God, my God, my God, how many times have I, do we like not listen to that little intuition, that little intuitive sense that tells us we shouldn't be in this situation or whatever. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of a bit of a tangent, just thinking of mushrooms as a tool for, uh, assessing our relationships. Um, but like, and even in thinking in terms of a therapist, like we're going to talk about this in the next episode, uh, whether therapists or facilitators should or shouldn't, or what that conversation around them dosing with the people that they're supporting. Um, but you know, your therapist is someone who, um, you know, I would, I don't want to say requires, but I do want to say requires that it requires great vulnerability to make progress with a therapist. And if you were to take mushrooms with, I mean, I'm boom off the bat. I can think of someone in our community who <laughs> took mushrooms with their therapist recently and found out that that therapist was not solid and was not someone that they should be sharing their vulnerable self with. Um, And I wonder, like, is that part of the reason of why some of these facilitators don't want to dose, maybe even particularly alongside their clients, is because it may um, make their own insecurities in... Um, uh, just highly visible. I don't know. I don't know. Well, yeah. Yes. It's, it's, really, <laughs> it, it, I truly when you're not, believe. I mean, we, we've heard certain facilitators say there's no way in hell I'm going to dose in front of anybody because, yeah, true. because what, might come out what might come yeah. out and then specifically say that yeah, like i don't right. want to be seen 
by people. God, I which cannot is believe shocking. That. If you're leading group retreats, then you should be dosing with groups sometimes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> and if you can really say that out loud, that you don't want, you will not dose in front of people because you don't want to be seen and you don't hear that resonating in your own head. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh my God. Uh, I don't know what to say. I know that we should have immediately ran the other way when we heard that. That's what we should have done. But life is a learning experience. Yeah. And sometimes sometimes you're too far down the road to just run the other way. You got to be strategic. That's right. (laughs) Or trust the process to. Yeah. This is such a. It's such an ongoing conversation. Um, I mean, life is, and this topic is, and just thinking about trying to put myself in the shoes of somebody with no experience uh, working with mushrooms. I wonder how do you I just, go ahead, I, sorry, I don't know. I mean, what comes to me like after this whole conversation is like, it's in the conversation that the mushroom experience happens really like in that process of assessing if you want to eat mushrooms with somebody or eat mushrooms with the help of somebody holding space for you, or if you want to hold space for somebody else, Mm -hmm. like I come back to you and it's in the ability to have the conversation with that person that, like you'll know mm. um, if it's a good fit and, and with yourself. Mm-hmm. Like if you can't have a conversation with someone um, in which you feel like you can continue opening up and you experience that person continuing to mm-hmm. open up, mm-hmm. um, like you'll know, uh, you know if it feels like safe to do so, which like you said, you know, safe is, you know, the spectrum and safe, but scary, safe, but scary. Yeah. It's never going to feel like completely comfortable and, you know, like you're just going to eat a piece of chocolate or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But, mm-hmm. um, but it has me questioning like how, how do you know when you're ready to sit for somebody else? And I think back on my own experiences and I, th- and I think back on witnessing others in this realm. And I almost want to say that, you know, you're ready when you know, you're not ready. Mm. You know, it's like the people who come out of a training program and they're like, I'm ready to be a psychedelic facilitator. And they, they just like, no, no fear, no concern. This is, I got this. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure that those people are actually ready because not having, if you, if you don't have enough experience to, to know that this can be a, an absolutely abjectly terrifying experience, even with the safest person that you know, mm-hmm. then you don't have enough experience. Yeah. It's just, it's just a reality. And you know, there's a whole big conversation to have about bad trips and blah, blah, blah. And, um, not gonna, not gonna get off on that tangent right now. I personally do believe that with a um, with a supportive community or a highly qualified 
highly experienced facilitator that any trip, no matter how challenging, can be a positive outcome. Uh, but that, again, requires a lot. And I, can, I only say that because I've had so many fucking terrifying experiences that were the most beneficial experiences of my life, you know, um, and being able to help people unpack that is extremely rewarding. Uh, but yeah, anybody that's just like gung ho, brand new, and this is a, such a brand new thing in our world. These medicines were practiced for tens of thousands of years. Thousands of years people practiced with these medicines and came to a level of proficiency. We have been dabbling for such a very short time. And that's where, personally, I am more capable of bringing in compassion for uh, the industry, quote, the industry, um, because it's it's easy, particularly with something that is as complicated as psychedelics, I think it's even easier to to generalize it. Like something that is the way that psychedelics are complicated in that it takes real time for your subconscious to open up and, al and allow you to experience the breadth of the experiences that can be had. This is not something like mushrooms are notorious for kind of like teasing people in, right? And then like, brah, here's the goods, you know, and it's like, oh, my God. Um, so it's really easy for us to just be like, oh, yeah, you know, have a mushroom trip at six hours, you meet God, you have a good conversation, you come back out, and then everything's better, you know, because that's very often kind of the early experiences for people. But as you advance in and you become more capable of letting go, then you're much more likely to have these kind of earth-shattering, very confusing experiences. So, yeah, I just want to have some compassion on the industry overall and there's there is admittedly there is a uh, a certain amount of kind of ego within myself that is like well you think you know psychedelics you don't know psychedelics you know wait yeah. till you, you know so i just yeah it just does check help ourselves. viewing the industry the bubble of the up and coming whatever mm -hmm. psychedelic world um viewing that as like a toddler mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know just mm -hmm. like learning its independence and um navigating the whole thing and the fear and the naivety and it's like i'm things. like a teenager I'm not, I'm not even yeah. an adult in the psychedelic space. I'm like yeah. a teenager and I get really annoyed with my little toddler siblings but then you know, in my moments of clarity, I can have <laughs> compassion on them. Whereas when I'm a full-grown adult psychedelic professional, then I will just immediately be like, "Oh, it's okay, little kid. Let me help you. Let me help you get up. It's okay. You feel yeah, down. doing good. You're doing good. You're doing Got good. Got this. All right. Okay, so well, next episode, we're talking about dosing, dosing with, with yeah the people. Even more They're also controversial. Oh, yeah. I bet you can guess what my stance is. 
We're acting like the mushroom here, just teasing you. Yeah. Teasing you into the most mind blowing (laughs) bits. Thanks for listening. Uh, Be sure to leave comments if you agree, disagree. We'd like to hear from you, particularly on the YouTube channel. It's a great place to have a conversation. Uh, We also, of course, very much appreciate your feedback uh, through. Uh, ratings on iTunes and Spotify. We're moving yeah. up. We're almost to a hundred thousand downloads. We should have some kind of a special oh, yeah. episode for our hundred Ks. Maybe we could have like a live stream or something. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah. All right. Unless Thanks, as long y'all. as it's not like a live stream like you had in the kitchen floor that night we were tripping. Oh <laughs> come on. <laughs> oh yeah. A sense of humor is really fucking important in your psychedelic facilitator. Just saying. Yeah. And also getting permission from the person you're sharing stories about, which you have permission for well, me to share yeah, that story. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. we've only shared it 500 times yeah. now. Well, this is this is actually something to be a good episode because this is something that comes up and it's going to come up more and more in the community context because it's important for facilitators to integrate and share their experiences as harm reduction, education, and also for their own personal contextualization. And I've had some, um, you know, I just share, I shared that story about the guy who uh, took seven grams on his own and ended up peeing. And he may listen to this. He may not. Nobody knows who the fuck that is. Even the people that were on the retreat with the same individual don't know who that is. You know, so I don't want to start another episode right now. But this is a conversation that I think uh, is really of value. It's something that I've given a lot of thought to. Um, so maybe that's something we can talk about in the future. The ethics yeah. of sharing That'd be great. A psychedelic experience. That'd be great. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you.